Mordecai recorded these things and sent letters to all the Jews who were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, both near and far, and enjoining them that they should keep the 14th day of the month Adar, and also the 15th day of that same month year by year, as the days on which the Jews gained relief from their enemies, and as the month that had been turned for them from sorrow into gladness, and from mourning into a holiday. Let's pray together. Dear Father in heaven, we ask you to join us here this morning as we do week by week, and we trust that you have and are here with us. May my words be your words and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Now, I know what you're thinking. You heard me just now reread that little section of the book of Esther, and you thought to yourself, Esther again? Come on, that's funny. Aya spent a summer in Italy when we were in college, and one of her roommates complained toward the end of their trip, pasta again? You guys are tough this morning. As as common as pasta is in Italy, so is the reading of the book of Esther in church. Well, maybe not quite. How many of you are familiar with the story of Esther? I suspect that some of us don't know it that well, the plot details or the theological importance. The reason I suspect that some of us don't know it that well is that when I read it from our reading earlier this week, I sort of had to think to myself, wait a minute, what exactly is it that happens in Esther again? So maybe we don't know this story as well as we might, so I want to dig into it this morning. It's going to seem a little bit like a history lesson, albeit an exciting one, but this is not a history lesson. This is a sermon proclaiming the good news about Jesus Christ. We'll get there, just hang on for the ride. So, long, long ago, in a land far, far away, there's a king and a queen. They rule a big kingdom, a land that stretches from India to Ethiopia. This kingdom is called Persia. And their names are King Ahasuerus, very easy to pronounce, impress your friends, King Ahasuerus, and Queen Vashti. Now, King Ahasuerus is a pretty typical king in that he's really used to getting his way. He says things and things happen. This is the great thing about being a king. And this particular king, King Ahasuerus, has very strict rules about his presence. That's sort of his thing. You can only come into his presence if you are invited. And if you dare come into his presence uninvited, the penalty is death. So at one point, he tells his wife, Queen Vashti, that she needs to make an appearance at court so that the whole kingdom can see how beautiful she is. Queen Vashti refuses. And so King Ahasuerus' response is to have her banished. He sends her away forever. So he needs a new queen, right? So the way he gets himself a new queen is he has an overnight beauty contest. Wink, wink. Uh, Think the fantasy suite on The Bachelor. Ahasuerus is kind of a classy guy. Now Esther is not Persian. She's a Jew. She has no parents. She's raised by her uncle Mordecai. And she enters and wins this beauty contest. 
and becomes queen. So now we have King Ahasuerus and Queen Esther. So all's well with Esther's family, right? From, from the outside to the palace, she is queen. But not so fast. Because the king has a right-hand man. You've all seen Aladdin, right? We have a Jafar in this story, too. His name is Haman. You read, we read about him in our reading. Like all higher-ups, and just like Ahasuerus, Haman likes to be shown honor. He thinks of himself as very important. He wants everybody in his life to show him honor. He wants people to bow down to him. But Mordecai is a Jew and refuses to bow down to anybody but God. We're following along so far. We've got King Ahasuerus, Queen Esther, and Esther's uncle Mordecai, who's now gotten on the bad side of the king's right-hand man, Haman. So Haman is a little frustrated at Mordecai because he won't bow down to him, and he's looking for an appropriate punishment for Haman. And what he comes up with is that he's going to kill every single Jew in Ahasuerus' kingdom. Again, these are classy guys. So he goes to the king, Haman goes to the king, and gets him to make a proclamation that on a certain day in the future, the 13th day of Adar, this day will be set aside for the destruction of the Jews. And then here's how these guys roll. They make that announcement publicly in advance so that the Jews will have time to mourn their own impending deaths. That's cold-blooded. So, following along, right? We've got Queen Esther and her uncle Mordecai. They're Jews, and they've angered the powers that be. And a proclamation has gone out that on this future day, the 13th day of Adar, all the Jews in the kingdom will be killed. And so Esther realizes that she needs to do something to save her people. So what she does is she goes and stands in the inner palace courtyard, presenting herself to the king, even though she hasn't been called on for a month. Now, remember, you can't come into the presence of the king without being invited. The penalty is death. Remember what happened to Queen Vashti earlier in our story. But Esther acknowledges this. She says so in chapter 4, verse 16. She says, I will go to the king. Though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. But when Esther presents herself to the king, he decides he's okay with it, possibly remembering the fantasy suite, and he invites her into the palace. And after a couple of dinner parties and some palace intrigue, The king asks Esther what she wants. And this is where our reading this morning picks up. Right here, three quarters of the way through the story. Queen Esther answers, If I have won your favor, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be given me. This is my petition. And the lives of my people, that is my request. And so the king does something amazing. After Esther risks her life by coming to him and asking for mercy for her and for her people, the king decrees that the 13th day of Adar, the same day that had been previously set aside for the destruction of the Jewish people, now will be set aside for the Jews to conquer their enemies. 
And that Haman, the guy who was trying to kill all the Jews, is going to be hung on the same gallows that he had set up for Mordecai. So it's this incredible turning of the tables. On the same day that the Jews were going to be destroyed, their destroyer is destroyed. And here's Esther chapter 9 verse 1. Now in the twelfth month, this is the month of Adar, on the thirteenth day of the same, when the king's command and edict were about to be carried out, on the very day when the enemies of the Jews hoped to gain mastery over them, the reverse occurred. The Jews gained mastery over those who hated them. And so the Jews decided that the two days after that, the 14th and 15th days of Adar would always be celebrated. And as we read this incredible sentence in our reading, those days turned for them from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into a holiday. Now this is the point of the story where we jump about 500 years into the future to Jesus Christ. And I promised you good news, and here it is. The story of Esther is a clear foreshadowing of the old, old story, the story of the gospel, the story of Jesus Christ. Did you catch the way that God is at work in this story? Listen to the incredible parallels. King Ahasuerus sets a decree that all of God's people will perish. The Lord has decreed similarly in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. Esther's people were targeted unjustly due to the selfishness of Haman. We are targeted justly due to our own selfishness and sin. There's no way out for anyone. Without someone to stand between us and the king, we are going to be slaughtered. But Esther puts herself there in the temple courtyard. She presents herself to this dangerous king, risking everything. She risks her human life and her earthly throne to save her people. Jesus forsakes his heavenly throne to come to earth, to take up and then lay down his human life, to stand between us sinful people and our holy God. Jesus abandons his throne to save us. Esther knew that her actions might cost her her life. She said, if I perish, I perish. Jesus knew for sure that his actions would cost him his life. He said, not my will, but your will be done. Because of Esther's Intervention. A second decree is put out, overriding the first. The day of death became for the Jews the day of new life. Defeat became victory. Because of Christ's intervention, a second decree is put out over us as well. The law of sin and death is overridden by the gospel of new life. In Jesus Christ, the day that seemed for all the world like the day of death, a crucified criminal hanging outside the city walls 
became for us a day of new and unending life. It is finished, Jesus cried. Our sin laid on Christ's shoulders, His perfection given to us. On that day, God turned the death of His Son into eternal life for all of His adopted children. Us. You. And me. Good Friday was overcome by Easter Sunday. That day turned for us from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into a holiday. Now, today we live in Esther's kingdom. Our enemies, sin and death, have been destroyed by our intercessor, the one who stands in the temple courtyard for us, Jesus Christ. And like the Jews in the kingdom of Ahasuerus and Esther, we are free because of our Savior to be ourselves. The Jews needed to know no fear while Esther was on the throne. Though Esther's kingdom is but a distant memory, Christ is on His heavenly throne even today, even now. And there is therefore no condemnation for us, His adopted brothers and sisters. His blood still intercedes for you right now. He still stands in your place. His purity covers our sinfulness every single day. Like Esther's subjects, we are safe on account of our Savior. We need know no fear while Christ reigns. And He reigns forever and ever. You have been and are saved. Amen.